The Secret Service announces that its investigation into the source of cocaine at the White House is closed, and they have no idea who did it. Hollywood actors strike, and Joe Biden activates 3,000 troops for European deployment. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. I talk about them every single show. Why haven't you gotten a VPN yet? Get ExpressVPN right now at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, the investigation into who left cocaine at the White House has ended. And shock of shocks, there is no one who has been identified as a suspect. No one. There are no suspects whatsoever. So um, here's the thing. This is the most protected building on planet Earth. I've been there multiple times. There are cameras pretty much everywhere. And now we are being told that a baggie of cocaine that was left in a pretty highly trafficked area, they have no idea who left that baggie of cocaine. And they've closed the investigation after just 11 days. It is a mystery wrapped in an enigma. According to the New York Post, the Secret Service ended its investigation into cocaine found in the West Wing of the White House after just 11 days without identifying a suspect, enraging congressional Republicans who demanded answers about how an illegal drug got into one of the most secure buildings in the world. The protective agency said its probe was closed due to a lack of physical evidence after FBI forensic testing on the bag, the cocaine was found and failed to turn up fingerprints or sufficient DNA, which in and of itself is a little bit weird. I mean, why aren't there any fingerprints on the baggie would be a would be an interesting question. I mean, you would imagine that might be true during the winter when people are wearing gloves walking into the White House, but it is the middle of the summer. So you'd imagine that somebody had their hands on this thing without physical evidence. The investigation will not be able to single out a person of interest from the hundreds of individuals who passed through the vestibule where the cocaine was discovered, the service said. Now, as others have pointed out, if this was anthrax, I don't think the Secret Service would be shutting down the investigation quite so quickly. Representative Tim Burchett of Tennessee stormed out of a briefing offered to lawmakers on the House Oversight Committee moments after it began, calling the conclusion bogus and the investigation a complete failure. He said, they know who goes into the White House. They have facial identification. You can't go into the social, you can't go into the White House without giving your social security number to say it's some weekend visitor that's bogus. Nobody exactly is buying any of that. Meanwhile, Democrats are happy as clams that this investigation is done. Representative Jamie Raskin of Maryland says, we're done here. There's nothing to see. It's all over. I'm satisfied that the Secret Service and the White House are on top of it. You know, I was reading a, a book about Lincoln recently, and um, anybody in Washington could just walk right into Lincoln's White House, go directly in and try to find the president and talk to him. And obviously, we're in a very different security environment than that. Um, but I don't know how many people would want to go to the White House if they were going to be administering a drug test on the way in, which is what some of my colleagues have suggested. You know, some people are saying everybody okay, should be drug tested on the way into the White House. And, uh, you know, these are the same people who are opposed to COVID-19 tests. So I, I don't see a lot of coherence in um, the criticism. That works the other way around. Also, all of you are in favor of COVID-19 tests for everyone. And in fact, you shut down the entire country over COVID-19. But you're like, yeah, it would be too much to ask that somebody not be high on cocaine when they visit the White House. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia said they were able to narrow down a list of approximately 500 people that had left a small bag of cocaine. My question to them was, have they drug tested this list of 500 potential suspects that brought an illegal substance or drug, cocaine, into the White House? Their answer was no, and they are unwilling to do so. President Biden's staff is subjected to routine drug tests, but White House visitors, including those given West Wing tours by invitation only, are not. Also, you know who is not a member of the White, the, the White House staff would be a man named Hunter Biden. That guy is not a member of the White House staff, technically. Obviously, there are a lot of suspicions that a person who's been addicted to crack cocaine and has pictures on his laptop of himself doing crack cocaine while going 172 miles an hour down the road between Los Angeles and Las Vegas, that maybe that guy might be a suspect in all of this. 
House Speaker Kevin McCarthy told Fox News the probe was a farce. He said, you can't tell me in the White House with 24-7 surveillance in a cubbyhole by a situation room. They don't know who delivered it there. We should get an answer to the question. It seems to me that in America, anything today involving Biden Inc. gets treated differently than anything else. And that shouldn't exactly be the case. Meanwhile, Donald Trump has his own theory. He says that it is not, in fact, Hunter who's responsible for the cocaine. Perhaps it is just Joe. <laughs> Whatever is the, the plausible answer, Donald Trump one ups, two ups, nine ups. Here is President Trump. What is your reaction when you see cocaine in the White House? Can you even believe that's possible? Well, you said I put out a truth. I know most of your people are in truth because I think truth is better than anything out there. But I put out a truth. It's, it's, in my opinion, it's Hunter and probably Joe. Because, you know, you watch right. Joe at the beginning of a speech and he's got a little life, not much, <laughs> but he's got a little life. By the end of the speech, he's a disaster. He can't even find his way off the thing. So there's something going on there. And. I wouldn't be surprised if it was for both of them. I think it's for both of them, but that's yeah. my opinion. I said, great minds think alike. I said that on my TV show just this morning. I said it's either Hunter or it's Joe because he's so bad that before each speech and interview, they probably need to give him something to juice him up. I said exactly up. that. Yep. <laughs> no, I think they pump him up. All right. Absolutely. Let, and I think, and we let, can't have a president that's on cocaine when you're dealing with nuclear weapons and everything else. This is this is our country, folks. This is this is what we have come to. We can't have a president on cocaine. Meanwhile, we are now learning that the Secret Service actually discovered pot twice in Joe Biden's White House, and um, they did nothing about it. The possession of less than two ounces of marijuana is not a crime in D.C., but marijuana is in fact federally banned and prohibited on federal property, according to Breitbart. The Secret Service said that in both cases, the marijuana found was under two ounces, a weight that could cost a buyer on the street upwards of seven hundred dollars. Honestly, this is an easy one for the White House. Just sit Kamala Harris on the case. That lady's jailed more people for marijuana than anybody else in America. Just put Kamala Harris on the one thing she's competent in doing, tracking down the person who brought the pot into the White House. The Secret Service initially revealed the information to members of Congress on Thursday. They said no one was arrested in these incidents because the weight of the marijuana confiscated did not meet the legal threshold for federal charges or D.C. misdemeanor criminal charges. The marijuana was collected by officers and uh, destroyed. Destroyed. So um, that is uh, excellent. You know, how much institutional failure can one country take? It goes from the small to the large. Every institution of American government seems to be failing in its most basic function. And the Secret Service is apparently no different at this point. And, and are you suspicious of all this? I'm at least a little bit suspicious, given the fact that we know for a fact that the Secret Service attempted to insert itself into the Hunter Biden gun case. You'll recall that way back in 2018, President Biden's son, Hunter, and his daughter-in-law, Haley, were involved in a bizarre incident, according to Politico, in which Haley took Hunter's gun and threw it in a trash can behind a grocery store, only to return later to find it gone. She took his gun and threw it away because he was high on coke at the time, apparently. And she was scared that he was going to use the gun in a, in an, a terrible way. Secret Service agents then went to the owner of the store where Hunter bought the gun and asked to take the paperwork involving the sale, according to two people, one of whom had firsthand knowledge of the episode. The other was briefed by a Secret Service agent after the fact. The gun store owner refused to supply the paperwork to Secret Service, suspecting that they wanted to hide Hunter's ownership of the missing gun in case it were to be involved in a crime. The owner later turned over the papers to ATF. And then, of course, all of that resulted in a uh, plea deal in which Hunter Biden received no actual charges on applying for a gun license and while being high as a kite. So, yes, has Secret Service in intervened in this way before? Absolutely. The, the institutional failures in this country are stacking them. Then they wonder why institutional trust is gone. This would be the reason why institutional trust is absolutely gone. In just a second, we have more on the Hunter Biden corruption stuff because that continues to percolate. First, 
As central banks in countries like China, India, and Australia begin transitioning to digital currency, the Federal Reserve has been contemplating the same for the United States. With a digital currency, the government can track every single purchase you make. They can also inflate or deflate the currency as they see fit very, very easily. Times like these are a great reminder to diversify at least a portion of your savings into gold. You can do that with the help of my friends over at Birch Gold. They're who I buy my gold from, so do thousands of other concern savers. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. You do not pay a penny out of pocket. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does the dollar have? I don't know. Neither do you. So it's worth diversifying at least a little bit into precious metals. Protect your savings with gold today. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Thousands of happy customers. Text Ben to 989898. Get your free info kit on gold. When the central bank digital currency becomes a reality, well, you know, it's going to be nice to have relied at least a little bit on a resource that has never been worth zero. Again, text Ben to 989898. The smart investors diversify, particularly when it comes to the unseemliness of the federal government manipulating the currency. Become a smart investor. Text Ben to 989898 and get all your questions answered for my friends over at Birch Gold. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, when we say something is free, it should mean, you know, free. No strings attached, no hidden costs, no fine print to decipher. When you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks monthly for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. Pure Talk saves the average family almost $1,000 a year. Plus, with Pure Talk, you know you're spending your hard-earned money with a company that aligns with your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Head on over to puretalk.com Shapiro. Claim eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro and switch to my cell phone company. I've been using Pure Talk myself for years at this point. They are excellent. They've got great coverage and they don't hate your guts. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and switch on over. Okay, meanwhile, the Daily Caller has an exclusive about Hunter Biden in which they find that Hunter Biden and his business associates attempted to get Burisma founder Mikola Zlovchevsky a U.S. visa shortly after the president's son became a board member of that Ukrainian energy firm. The emails in Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop archive show a coordinated attempt to obtain a visa for Zlovchevsky while he was being investigated by Ukrainian authorities for corruption. By the way, it is amazing how for just a couple of years here, really since the, the Ukraine scandal regarding the Bidens burst into the open, there's been an overt attempt by the media to pretend there is no corruption in Ukraine. Ukraine is by far one of the most corrupt countries in all of Europe, including Eastern Europe. Ukraine has serious corruption problems. Everyone who has spent any time examining the situation knows this. The New York Times has covered it. The Wall Street Journal has covered it. The Washington Post has covered it. Even people who are very sympathetic to the plight of people in Ukraine recognize the government there has been plagued with corruption for decades. And so it shouldn't be a shock that Hunter Biden was playing around there because obviously that is where the guy makes his money. Biden and some of his associates were potentially engaging in registrable lobbying activity. One email indicates that the Foreign Agents Registration Act violations could have been occurring outside of the exchanges. A fair expert who reviewed the emails told The Daily Caller, from 2014 to 2016, Hunter worked with former Burisma board member Devin Archer, Rosemont Seneca advisor Eric Schwerin, former Boys Schiller and Flexner LLP partner Heather King, and other business associates to assist Michael Zlochevsky with his visa reapplication process after the State Department revoked his visa back in 2014. Slachevsky is the foreign national involved in a bribery scheme with Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, according to Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene. She said that she's viewed a redacted version of an FBI form where an informant details how Slavchevsky spoke to him about making a $10 million bribe to the Bidens. FBI Director Chris Ray redacted the foreign national's name, according to Greene, but within the same sentence, it says him slash Burisma. So in other words, it looks as though the person who may have been attempting to bribe the Bidens was also 
lobbying Hunter Biden to try and get his visa renewed in the United States. And none of this should be shocking. The Biden family is, in fact, a, a funnel for cash from foreign sources. So that is not going away for Joe Biden. Now, this is a serious problem. It really is. Because, again, so much of presidential politics relies not just on the policies of who the president is and, and the popularity of those policies. If that were true, Donald Trump would still be president. So much of presidential policies relies on the popularity of the figure at the top. Joe Biden has not budged in the polls in terms of popularity since the Afghanistan pullout. When it when the mask came off of Joe Biden and this carefully constructed facade that both he and the media had been complicit in building, this facade that suggested that he was a kindly old gentleman who truly cared about people like you, that was ripped off his face. And what was underneath was something quite ugly. It was, in fact, an incredibly self-interested politician who's very selfish, a person who really only cares about the people who are very close to him and who is perfectly willing to subject people, including American troops, to greater danger for his own personal glorification. Since that time, Joe Biden has not recovered. And the Hunter Biden stuff just underscores that. Not just the Hunter Biden stuff. The fact that, for example, he has disowned one of his grandchildren. Disowned her because apparently Hunter Biden doesn't want to take responsibility for this grandchild. So that grandchild doesn't exist to Joe. Because in Joe's world, the only people who matter are people with the last name Biden. So you deny the last name Biden to a four-year-old girl. The only asset that the Biden family has, by the way, I mean, the only reason Hunter Biden is a wealthy man today is because of that last name. The only reason Frank Biden is a wealthy man today is because of that last name. They deny that to a four-year-old girl because the only people that matter to Joe Biden are the people in his immediate circle. Now, again, venal corruption on a familial level is nothing new in, in politics in Washington, D.C. The Clinton family was deeply corrupt also. However, the gap between sort of the garrulously charming Bill Clinton and the elderly octogenarian corruptocrat Joe Biden, that's pretty significant. And that means that Joe Biden is a very vulnerable candidate. Everybody around him knows it. The problem for the Democrats, as we've talked about a thousand times, they don't have anyone waiting in the wings. Okay, in just one second, we'll get to the strike in Hollywood. Actors are now joining the strike. The writers are already on. We'll get to that in a moment. First, everybody knows I love my Helix mattress. Did you know they just launched their newest, most high-end collection? That'd be the Helix Elite. Helix has harnessed years of extensive mattress expertise to bring their customers a truly elevated sleep experience. The Helix Elite Collection includes six different mattress models, each tailored for a specific sleep position and firmness preference. I've had my Helix for at least seven, eight years at this point. It is great. I desperately need my sleep at this point, given the number of children in the house, plus dog, plus, you know, normal chaos of life. And so I rely on that Helix Sleep Mattress to make sure that I'm alive the next morning. If you're nervous about buying a mattress online, you don't have to be. Helix has a sleep quiz that matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress. Why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? I took that Helix quiz. I was matched with a firm but breathable mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Take that two-minute sleep quiz. Find the perfect mattress for your body and sleep type. Your mattress will come directly to your door, shipped for free. Plus, Helix has a 10-year warranty. You can try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. For a limited time, Helix is offering up to 20% off all mattress orders, plus two free pillows for our listeners. It's their best offer yet. Hurry on over to helixsleep.com slash Ben with Helix. Better sleep starts right now. We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, we all know the first thing we do when we get home from work is change out of those work clothes and Jump into loungewear. Well, luckily for me, I have Tommy John to come home to as I slip into my Tommy John loungewear set. I'm immediately enveloped in a cocoon of supreme softness and unparalleled comfort. Not only is their loungewear cozy enough to use as sleepwear, well, if I have to walk to the park with my kids, I don't look like a schlub. And guys, you might be wondering how these things can get any better. Their underwear is the best. I've been talking about this for years. If you haven't tried them, you're missing out. I took all the other underwear I had. I threw them out. I only wear Tommy John's. Tommy John's stylish and soft second skin underwear has dozens of comfort innovations, like a supportable contour pouch, a breathable light wick moisture wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands. Plus, 
Tommy John's best pay your lover wearer's free guarantee protects your most valuable assets. So what exactly are you waiting for? Try Tommy John today. You can thank me later. For silky soft comfort with sophisticated style, check out Tommy John's luxurious second skin limited edition colors right now at tommyjohn.com slash Ben. They're going fast, so hurry to tommyjohn.com slash Ben. Okay, meanwhile, actors have now joined writers on the Hollywood strike. And um, again, people in Hollywood fighting each other, basically the Iran-Iraq war. Like, all right. All right. <laughs> the, the writers and the actors are very upset because the margins in the business have gone down markedly. Now, they're not wrong to be upset about the margins going down markedly. What they're wrong about is, is the simple fact that there's any alternative. There really is not. The business has destroyed itself. Streaming has destroyed the traditional Hollywood model. The traditional Hollywood model has not worked for at least 10, 15 years. Basically, everything that goes into a theater, if you're a movie actor, there are only a couple of types of movies. One of these indie movies that make no money, unless you have sort of a breakout horror hit. And the other is these giant tentpole films that these studios are spending $300 million on so that presumably some no-name director can make the Oscar bait that they can brag to their friends about at the cocktail parties that no one has ever watched. In other words, you make a Marvel movie so that somebody else can make Moonlight. That's typically the way this works in Hollywood. But one of the things that's been happening is the, the Hollywood star system is dead. The system by which... You know, any sort of sorting has happened is dead because of the prevalence of material, because there's such a hunger and demand for material, because of the plethora of streaming services, because of the ability to substitute in one actor for another actor or one writer for another writer. Because the supply of writers is higher right now than the demand for writers, because the margins, again, have gone down. The same thing is true in the acting industry. And so the union, which is designed to jack up the pay of these people, they're attempting now to push Hollywood to grant higher margins for them, you know, greater, greater pay for them believing that this will somehow be sustainable. The answer, unfortunately for them, is that it is not. That's not stopping anybody from going forward with this thing. According to the New York Times, the Hollywood Actors Union approved a strike on Thursday for the first time in 43 years, bringing the $134 billion American movie and television business to a halt over anger about pay and fears of a tech-dominated future. The leaders of SAG-AFTRA, the union representing 160,000 television and movie actors, announced the strike after negotiations with studios over a new contract collapsed, with streaming services and AI at the center of the standoff. On Friday, the actors joined screenwriters who walked off the job in May on picket lines in New York, L.A., and dozens of other American cities where scripted shows and movies are made. Apparently, actors and screenwriters have not been on strike at the same time since 1960, when Ronald Reagan was actually head of the Actors' Union. Dual strikes pit more than 170,000 workers against studios like Disney, Universal, Sony, and Paramount, as well as Netflix, Apple, and Amazon. Fran Drescher, who is the president of SAG-AFTRA, gave a news conference in which she explained the demands. So... It came with great sadness that we came to this crossroads, but we had no choice. We are the victims here. We are being victimized by a very greedy entity. I am shocked by the way the people that we have been in business with are treating us, because at some point the jig is up. You cannot keep being dwindled and marginalized and disrespected and dishonored. The entire business model has been changed by streaming, digital, AI. Apparently, their demands total 48 pages. That's triple the size of the list during their last negotiations in 2020. So what exactly are the big issues that they are striking over? According to the Washington Post, they want more money. They're upset that the length of seasons has gone down, which it has. You remember that Friends, for example, 
had 24 episodes a season. Bridgerton had just eight on Netflix. And the reason for that is because people binge these days as opposed to the entire basis for the the sort of terrestrial platforms, the TV-based platforms being that you have to stick around week to week. Series like Bridgerton, the, the entire idea of it is that you're releasing two, three, four, maybe even eight episodes at one time. These miniseries have become the way that streamers actually get an advantage over their competitors. For writers, pay issues dovetail with concerns over streaming and the use of mini rooms. Mini rooms are these writer rooms where you have kind of core writers and then you bring in supplemental writers to sort of help out as opposed to having these giant writers rooms. Again, that is one way of bringing down the cost structure if you are one of the studios. For actors, a combination of outdated contract terms and rapidly changing media landscapes mean shorter season orders and longer hiatuses between seasons. Also, they're deeply worried about the use of AI. They're worried that, that the studios are going to start using AI in order to generate scripts. Now, I've seen some of the AI scripts. They're not particularly good, but they are going to get better. And guess what? That's just the way tech works. Now, we're looking at all this from the producer side. If you're an actor, or you're a writer, I totally understand why you're upset about all of this. However, if you're a consumer of TV, if you're a consumer of the product, the product is getting cheaper. The people you don't like very much are getting paid less. Is this really like the end of the world? It's going to depress wages on one side, but it's certainly going to depress costs on the other. Right now, if you want to subscribe to all of various streaming services, it's going to cost you probably more than it did to pay for your bundled cable package way back when. Well, that's probably going to go down now because, again, the cost structure is, is declining, and it has to because, again, the profit margins have been declining for a very, very long time. When it comes to AI, many of the, many of the SAG-AFTRA actors are worried about their likeness, voice, or performance being used without their consent or without compensation because AI can mimic all of that. But the truth is the star system is basically dead. Aside from Tom Cruise, maybe Chris Pratt, name a star who can open a film. It doesn't exist anymore. And this I'm just going to put directly on both the studios and the actors. So it used to be that if you wanted to create a star, the way that you created a star in Hollywood was scarcity. The only time you saw a star in Hollywood in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s is when they were in the film. Their personal life, there would be sort of gossip tabloids that would try to get a hold of it, but the studio did a good job of guarding its people from, from becoming publicity figures outside of the movies. Outside of Marilyn Monroe, who was, of course, having affairs with nearly every major person in sight, the fact is that the biggest stars of the 40s, 50s, and 60s were guarded by the studios. And that no longer happens. And once you take away the veneer of celebrity and glamour from people, and it just turns out that they're kind of losers who lead dissolute lives, people will actually have a hard time separating when they go over to the movie theater. So the star system is basically dead. And once the star system is dead, you can just hire anybody to be an actor. There are a thousand talented actors out there. And not all that many are members of SAG-AFTRA. So what we have here is just a mismatch between the way the industry actually works and the way that everybody who used to work in the industry wishes that it worked. And there is something mildly delicious about this, not for the, the grips and not for the, the kind of people on set who are doing the, the, the actual hard work of putting things on film, but for the talent, for the actors, for the writers, the same people who are telling all of the people in middle America five seconds ago, learn to code. All those people now being slapped with AI, there's something kind of funny about all of that. We'll get to more on that in just one second. First, a good life insurance plan can give you peace of mind that if something happens to you, your family will have a safety net to cover mortgage payments, college costs, or other expenses. Life insurance through your workplace may not offer enough protection for your family's needs. It won't follow you if you leave your job. Since life insurance typically gets more expensive as we age, now would be the time to buy. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies and find your lowest price. Now, the simple fact is that it is satisfying to check life insurance off your to-do list. Right? It's just a thing that you have there. It's annoying you, and you don't want to think about it because, I mean, now you have to think about your 
you know, possible demise. But the fact is, once it's off your list, you don't have to think about that anymore. You're done. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies starting at just 25 bucks per month for a million dollars in coverage. Some options offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius's licensed agents work for you, not the insurance companies. That means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another so you can trust their guidance. There are no added fees. Your personal information remains private. Your loved ones deserve financial safety net. You deserve a smarter way to find and buy it. Head over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro or click the link in the description. Get your free life insurance quote. See how much you could save. That's policygenius.com slash Shapiro, policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Okay, so we're seeing some virtue signaling from Democrats on the on the basis of this Hollywood strike. So, for example, the execrable Adam Schiff, who's trying to run for Senate in the state of California, he uh, signaled his support for the actors and writers strike. Today, over 160,000 SAG-AFTRA members went on strike for better pay and better working conditions. And I want you to know I stand with you. This is personal for me. So many of you are my constituents, so many actors and stunt performers, so many voiceover artists and broadcast journalists. You're my friends, you're my neighbors, and what's more, your fight is the fight for workers all over the country. Uh, This is a fight to make the economy work for people again. Uh, The industry is very profitable, and you should share in those profits. After all, you're the folks who make that magic happen. So I'm going to be out there in the picket lines by your side. I'll be yelling through that bullhorn. I'll be supporting you uh, until you get the deal that you have earned with good pay and good working conditions. So proud of what you're doing. If this was the deal that they had earned, see, he's so pathetic. If this were the deal they'd earned, they were already making the pay. Because the fact of the matter is that the the actual business expertise that has generated enormous profits in places like Netflix, that is not the actors and the writers. The actors and writers are valuable, no question. They're some of the inputs in terms of labor. But the simple fact is that it's been strategic decision-making at the top levels of these companies that have made them profitable. There, there are a lot of movie and production companies that have a lot of talent working for them that are not profitable. Well, Bob Iger, who I really do not like as, as a human being, he's the head of Disney, but he also happens to be a competent business person. So he said, listen, the simple fact is these demands are unrealistic. He is not wrong about this. We're in the midst of a writer's strike and very likely it would seem to have a actor's strike. How is that going to impact things and what are your expectations there? Well, I think it's very disturbing to me. I, you know, we've talked about uh, disruptive forces on this business and all the challenges that we're facing and the recovery from COVID, which is ongoing. It's not completely back. This is the worst time in the world to add to that disruption. Uh, I understand uh, any, any labor organization's desire to um, work on the behalf, behalf of its members to get you know, the most compensation, to be compensated fairly based on the value that they deliver. We managed as an industry to negotiate a very good deal with the Directors Guild that reflects the value that the directors contribute to this great business. We wanted to do the same thing with the writers, and we'd like to do the same thing with the actors. There's a level of expectation that they have that is just not realistic. And they are adding to a set of challenges that this business is already facing that is, quite frankly, very disruptive. So they're not being realistic? No, they're not. So a lot of people are angry because Bob Iger makes a big payday. He makes $27 million a year. Okay, let's assume that he made $1 million a year. Let's assume he made zero. Distribute all that cash out to the actors you know, 160,000 people. And it turns out that's not going to be all that much money per person, like 100 bucks per person. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a huge amount of money that you are talking about distributing to everybody else. That's not going to solve the problem. It isn't about the executive pay at these companies. The biggest problem is, as Iger says, the model has completely changed in Hollywood. Now, here is the biggest problem for the actors and for the writers and for the companies. No one has any sympathy for any of them. No one has any sympathy for any of them. And no one has sympathy for Disney because Disney has decided to become extremely political. As I mentioned before, nobody has sympathy for the actors because no one knows who any of the actors are. 
you might have had sympathy for actors back in the 1960s, 50s, 40s, because you had great allegiance to them on screen. The star, the star system was very much in play. So if, if Cary Grant had decided that he was going to lead a strike with Ronald Reagan and with the rest of the members of SAG-AFTRA, then everybody would be like, whoa, where's my favorite star? Where did they go? Right now, if Tom Holland disappears from your screen, are you going to be thinking about that very much? If, if suddenly Timothy Chalamet isn't in every movie, are you going to be like weeping, heartbroken? If Zendaya doesn't show up, Zendaya, Zendaya, if she doesn't show up on your screen, are you going to be like, whoa, oh no, what are we going to do? Or are you just going to wait for them to cast the next 22-year-old beautiful person who is fairly decent as an actor? So the sympathy level for all of these people is very, very low. And it's particularly low for the corporations as well. So again, I, I don't think most Americans feel a stake in this particular labor fight. That's particularly true because the same Bob, Bob Iger, who's making a correct business argument, also happens to be a person who injects himself into politics, alienating half of the American people on a regular basis. So in that same interview where he is correctly saying that actors and writers and directors, they have outsized expectations of a market that no longer exists. In that same interview, he is pretending that Disney has had no role in the attempt in sexual, sexual indoctrination of children, which is not true at all. Here's Iger. Story. I know, but you can't be happy when there's literally Nazis standing outside the front gates of the park. That was horrifying, quite frankly. And uh, it's concerning to me that anyone would encourage a, you know, a, a level of intolerance or even hate that, in, frankly, could you know, e even become you know, da you know, dangerous action that could be turned into you know, some dangerous act of some sort. We are a preeminent entertainer in the world. And we're proud of our track record there. The notion that Disney is in any way sexualizing children, quite frankly, is, is preposterous um, and inaccurate. Uh, let me just point out that that is not true at all, that they're not sexualizing children. That's a preposterous, inaccurate idea. Here's Latoya Ravino, who's one of their heads of animation. Now, you'll remember this at the Reimagine Tomorrow Symposium at Disney, explicitly saying that they are attempting to sexually indoctrinate children. All that like momentum that I felt like that sense of I don't have to be afraid to like, let's have these two characters kiss. Let's in the background. This are, like I was just wherever I could just basically adding queerness to like the, if you see anything queer in the show, I'm proud of them. But like I, I just was like, no one would stop me. She's adding queerness wherever she could. But don't worry. Bob Iger says that Disney is just as innocent as it was when you were a kid. And they're just trying to show you Aladdin. That's how that's how innocent Disney is. Never mind the fact that Strange World, which completely bombed at the box office, featured the first openly LGBTQ plus minus divided by sign teenage Disney character was an actual plot point in the film. Never mind that Elemental, Elemental, a film made for small children, had the first non-binary character. Never mind the lesbian kissing scene and, and central centrality to the plot of LGBTQ politics in Lightyear. Never mind the Proud Family, which which has become an extraordinary emblem of radical BLM 1619 Project nonsense. I mean, all of that has been promoted in public view by Disney. Never mind the fact that Disneyland is now having dudes wearing dresses at the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique at Disneyland. Now, don't worry. They're not doing anything to your kids. So again, this is why the American people are kind of like, whatever, man. Don't care. Really, really don't care. Like, go at it. Have at it, guys. Okay, meanwhile, the Biden administration is upping the ante over in Ukraine. So according to Politico, President Biden wrapped up his visit to Europe on Thursday, touting the strength of NATO and the alliance's ability to stop Russian President Vladimir Putin. But diplomatic breakthroughs overseas came with lingering uncertainties about the future of the war. Biden capped off his trip in Helsinki, projecting a dramatically different presence than the last American president to visit the Finnish capital. Five years ago this week, Trump sided with Putin over America's intelligence agency's conclusion that Russia interfered in the 2016 election. As it turns out, 
the Russian interference in the 2016 election was actually quite minimal. And, uh, and Trump wasn't entirely wrong about that. All the intelligence agencies suggested that Russia had some sort of mass scale effect on the 2016 election, and that was not true. However, Biden patted himself on the back. He said, Putin's already lost the war. Putin has a real problem. How does he move from here? What does he do? And so the idea that's going to be what vehicle is he is used, he could end the war tomorrow. He could just say, I'm out. Well, but he's not going to just say he's out. And he's particularly not just going to say he's out given the set of incentives that the West has currently set up. A set of incentives in which the West keeps saying that Zelensky is going to take back the whole thing. Putin has no interest in Zelensky taking back the whole thing. Plus, the United States has said Zelensky gets to lead the charge here. He's going to say that he takes back the whole thing. And also, we're not going to let him into NATO until he finishes, which leads Putin to want to presumably continue the war as long as humanly possible. So the uh, the Ukrainian counteroffensive, this much vaunted Ukrainian counteroffensive, which was supposed to set up the Ukrainians for a better stance in negotiation against Russia, uh, that has turned into a pretty long slog. Biden has said that he is going to guarantee the U.S. would remain in NATO, um, which, of course, I don't think is in serious contention. I know that, that Donald Trump has talked about the possibility of pulling the United States out of NATO, but that seems, uh, I think, exaggerated to me. Meanwhile, Putin has now ordered 3,000 reservists to be ready for European deployment. Although it's not clear whether Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin plans to actually deploy these reservists anytime soon, the move suggests the United States' training mission in Europe, along with deployment of several new brigades after the invasion, has now stretched its active duty forces. So we're not even involved in an actual ground war in Ukraine. We don't actually have troops in Ukraine in any large numbers. We have advisors there, apparently. But we don't have massive troops in Ukraine. Joe Biden had to call up 3,000 more reservists. The, the level of reservists that he's calling up are like the backups to the backup. That's how, that's how thinly stretched the American military is right now. The president's order for the first time designates Operation Atlantic Resolve, according to Politico, the U.S. effort in Europe as a contingency operation, which allows the Pentagon to call up reserve forces and implement sped up acquisition authorities to supply those troops with equipment. The designation not only allows the president to mobilize reservists, it also provides support for families and dependents of reservists who might be deployed. The U.S. had rushed 20,000 more troops to Europe after the Russian invasion. So we have over 100,000 on the continent, including rotations of 10,000 troops in Poland. The big story here is not that we're sending additional troops to Europe. Again, we have 100,000 troops there already. The big story is that we are so stretched militarily because of our recruitment failures under the Biden and, yes, the Trump administrations because of the military's woke problem, because of the military constantly failing in its, in its missions thanks to political leadership, because of the, frankly, out-of-shape American youth who are not capable of passing basic fitness tests to get into the military. Because of all that, the American military is stretched absolutely thin. And the Ukraine war has stretched us thinner, even if we're not directly involved in the Ukraine war. Meanwhile, the Biden administration continues on its, um, on its quest to appease the Chinese. So they're playing this kind of weird inside-outside game with the Chinese, where on the one hand, you have Joe Biden saying, absolutely, we'll fight over Taiwan. On the other hand, you have John Kerry refusing to label Xi Jinping a dictator. So here is John Kerry, the climate advisor to the Biden administration yesterday, refusing to call Xi Jinping a dictator. The president called Xi Jinping, called him a dictator, do you believe he wields the power of a dictator today in China, meaning is his ability to, is similar to Putin's ability to affect what he says he will do such that if he makes a promise, he can keep it? There, there's no question at all that uh, President Xi is the major decider uh, of uh, of the direction and of the policies of Is he, China. in fact, effectively a dictator? Well, I'm not, you know, I don't think it's useful to get into, I don't, I'm not going to get into. But he does uh, wield the power of. He wields enormous power as the 
as the leader of China. Absolutely. And, and everybody understands By the way, let me that. point out right here. Then when, when John Kerry says things like, I'm not going to get into whether he's a dictator, this is the same administration that claims that it's a fight for democracy in Ukraine. This is why you shouldn't use language like that, truthfully. You should just say, here's what America's interest is, and then say what America's interest is. And nobody believes you when you say that you're in a fight for democracy, but you refuse to call Xi Jinping a dictator. That was not the dumbest thing that John Kerry said yesterday. John Kerry also claimed that uh, he has never personally owned a private jet, which means that he is a man of the people, John Kerry. Uh, I should mention at this point that his wife, owned a charter jet company, Teresa Heinz Gary, and that he uh, flew those private jets around. But he hasn't personally owned it. So that means, like, I too am a man of the people, despite the fact that I've ridden in private jets many times. I'm a man of the people because I don't personally own a private jet. Did you know that? Here's John Kerry. I just don't agree with your facts, which began with the presentation of one of the most outrageously persistent lies that I hear, which is this private jet. We don't own a private jet. I don't own a private jet. I personally have never owned a private jet. And obviously, it's pretty stupid to talk about coming in a private jet from the State Department up here. It just honestly, if that's where you want to go, go there. He is just he is just the worst. He is just the worst. Okay, in just one second, we're going to get to the fake race controversy of the day first. Have you ever invested in like a nice jacket or shoes, or maybe even a nice dinner? Well, your betting shouldn't be any different. In fact, you should spend money on your betting because you're spending like eight hours a night on it. Start investing in your best sleep with Bull & Branch. They make the only sheets that get softer with every wash. Bull & Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on earth. They feel buttery to the touch. They're super breathable. They're perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Their signature hem sheets were made with luxurious threads. They're made without pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. Best of all, Bull & Branch give you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and returns on all orders. You're not going to want to return them because they are excellent. I'm telling you, Bowling Branch product is so good. They make an Afghan blanket that is just fantastic. It's so good that I actually travel with it because I sleep so much better using my Bowling Branch product. Sleep better at night with Bull and Branch sheets for a limited time. You can get early access to their annual summer event. Use code Shapiro to get 20% off today at bullandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code Shapiro. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Again, it is the best the best sheets on planet Earth. They are fantastic. You are going to love them. They get better with each and every wash. And they have a great deal right now. Use code Shapiro. Get 20% off today at bullandbranch.com. That's bullandbranch.com. Use promo code Shapiro. Also, despite the lackluster economy, the Daily Wire continues to thrive. Not only that, we are hiring. We're currently looking for senior copywriters to join our fast-growing marketing department. We're going to work alongside copywriters, creative directors, and designers with direction from the executive creator director to write persuasive, conversion-focused marketing copy for a variety of mediums. The senior copywriter will even get to write this ad read copy that I'm actively reading right now so you can make it better next time. This position will focus on D2C copywriting, working across the Daily Wire brand umbrella. The position is based in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information and to apply, visit dailywire.com slash careers. That's dailywire.com slash careers today. Okay, meanwhile, we, we have run out of enough racism in America to power the machine. So there is a left-wing media machine that demands racism, demands it. And the demand is wildly outstripping supply, which means that we now have to create kind of airsats racism. So the latest non-troversy involves Representative Eli Crane of Arizona, who accidentally referred to people of color or black people as colored people. He did this on the House floor. And this, of course, drove people into spasms of, of apoplexy. Now, is that current language? It is not. Is it a mistake? Sure. Does it mean that the guy's a racist? No, it doesn't. Here is the actual clip of Eli Crane yesterday. My amendment has nothing to do with whether or not colored people or black people or anybody can serve, okay? It has nothing to do with color, skin, any of that stuff. What we want to preserve and maintain is the fact that our military does not become a social experiment. 
We want the best of the best. We want to have standards that guide who, who's in what unit, what they do. And I'm going to tell you guys right, right now, the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, the North Koreans, they are, not, they are not doing this because they want the strongest military possible. I'd like to be recognized to have the words colored people stricken uh, from the record. I find it offensive and very inappropriate. Okay, so now we're, now we're going to be told that this is because this, this member is racist. It wasn't just a flub. It wasn't just that he meant to say people of color. I meant to say black people, and he said colored people instead. This means that deep down in the cockles of his heart, he's a vicious, brutal racist. You have Representative Jasmine Crockett, Democrat of Texas, tweeting out, Representative Eli Crane referred to black service members as colored people. You can't make this up. This is who these people are and who they've always been. Or you have Representative Jim McGovern, Democrat of Massachusetts, saying something very similar. Wow, Republicans are just openly calling my colleagues colored people on the House floor now. They're bringing amendments to the floor to stop bases named after Confederate traitors from getting new names. The GOP is not even hiding the racism. Racism anymore. Or Representative Troy Carter, Democrat of Louisiana, doing the same routine. After a day where Republicans fought to rid the government of diversity and inclusion, one of them finally let the hood slip. He's a member of the KKK because he said colored people as opposed to people of color or black people or African-American. In the 21st century, I never thought I would hear black people called color on the, colored on the floor of this House of Representatives. Surely we are better than this. Okay, so you might be wondering when exactly the language of colored people went out. Okay, well, fortunately, NPR covered this back in 2014. Again, I don't use that language on the air because it is passe. It is older language. It is language that was used for a very, very long time in the United States, but it was not like using the N-word. In fact, you may remember that the NAACP, right, which is still the most prominent black rights organization in the United States, the NAACP was originally the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Right. Is that because they were calling themselves the N word? No, it's because that was the parlance that was used for a very long time. Now, it's passe. You don't use it because it's passe. But the notion that this is inherently like way it's so insulting. It's like it's just deep and abiding. Like, give me a break. It's just not true. And we all know it's not true. And, you know, it's not true. And you're just trying to turn this into a major issue when it's clearly a slip of the tongue. NPR says, quote, language is and always will be an essential element in the struggle for understanding among peoples. Changes in the words and phrases we use to describe each other reflect whatever progress we make on the path toward a world where everyone feels respected and included. A Google Ngram search compared the frequency of the use colored people, minorities, and people of color delivers interesting results. The use of the phrase colored people peaked in books published in 1970. For minorities, the top ranked year was 1997. Since then, the term has steadily declined but continues to significantly outstrip the use of people of color. So if you look at the actual origin of people of color, Okay, it was, it was originally used in 1807 in an act to prohibit the importation of slaves into any port or place within the jurisdiction of the United States. The Oxford English Dictionary's earliest references to people of color is from the French, homme de couleur, in the late 18th century. Person or people is a term for human beings. That's pretty much uncontroversial. Color is a word packed with history, prejudice, and confusion. The adjective form of colored, the Oxford English Dictionary says, quote, usually considered offensive, but now... Because colored was adopted in the United States by emancipated slaves as a term of racial pride after the end of the American Civil War. It was rapidly replaced from the late 1960s as a self-designation by black and later by African-American, although it is retained in the name of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. In Britain, it was the accepted term for black, Asian, or mixed-race people until the 1960s. In a 1988 New York Times column about the phrase, William Sapphire, who's big into language, he talked about Martin Luther King referring to citizens of color in his speech at the March on Washington. He said, times change and terms change. 
Racial designations go through phrases. At one time, the word Negro was accepted, like the Negro Leagues, at an earlier time colored, and so on. This organization has been in existence for 80 years. The initial NAACP are part of the American vocabulary, firmly embedded in the national consciousness. We feel it would not be to our benefit to change our name. Right, that's an NAACP spokesperson talking. So again, does that mean that we should all start using that term? No, I mean, it's passe and we shouldn't use it because some people find it offensive. That's fine. And one term is, is better than another today. But the notion that this congressperson didn't just slip of the time, this was meant as like a racist reference is absolutely ridiculous. And this is the game that we now play. The game we now play is not, is the Biden administration's policy to benefit one racial group over another in American law? Is that racist? Is it racist to make it so that Asian Americans can't get into colleges, but black people can with scores 300 points lower on the SAT? Is that racist? Don't talk about that. Let's talk about whether this Arizona congressperson used the phrase colored people rather than people of color, which clearly means that he's a closeted member of the KKK. This sort of stuff is so dumb. I mean, truthfully, it is so dumb. If you spend your days deeply worried over what is it? I mean, the guy tries to correct himself in real time. He realizes he has flubbed and that is why he corrects himself. And then it turns into a national scale. Like, guys, how about we concentrate on some real problems in the United States, including problems of racism that have real world effects, particularly on people of other minorities. It's, it's just ridiculous. But again, people must have their, their quotient of, of racism in everyday media coverage. And so they'll manufacture it if they can't come up with the, uh, the, the really good stuff. Okay, it's time for something that we haven't done for a while here on this program, and that is story time. So there are some books that you've seen on the shelves when you walk into Barnes & Noble, and we're going into a weekend, so we, we, have to, we have to have some fun. It's time for story time with Uncle Ben. Today's story time is titled, Let It Lizzo. Apparently, this was found by one of our producers. I won't say who, Justin. And uh, it was found at the local bookstore near the front of the, of the bookstore, presumably to scare away the customers. And it's titled 50 Reasons Why Lizzo is Perfection. I think we have to read this because this is obviously directed at, you know, teenage girls for whom Lizzo is a thing. And so we're just gonna, it's a long book. Believe it or not, there are many reasons why Lizzo is perfection. Like th this book has to be 75 to 100 pages of why Lizzo is perfection. And so I thought that it was necessary for us to examine the various reasons why, you know, like a religious figure, Lizzo is perfection. So, for example, Lizzo is the undisputed queen of coconut oil. Wow. I, I had never thought about that before. I, who are the competitors to that title, by the way? Who are, who are the other competitors for the, for the queen of coconut? Apparently none. She's the undisputed queen. She performed in front of a giant inflatable and show-stopping ass at the 2019 VMAs. Wow. I mean, that is just, wow. Well, who, who else could perform in front of a giant inflatable tuchus? That, the, the, the magic that is Lizzo, our, our world is becoming so much better because of, because of all of this. Also, she is living proof that twerking is good for the soul. It's true. When you read various traditions in religion, various religious traditions from all over the world, who've been searching for some sort of spiritual placidity, some sort of connection, with a higher way of life. Very few of them had stumbled upon the magic that is, in fact, thrusting your ass in the air repeatedly. Okay, next. Apparently, according to Let It Lizzo, 50 Reasons Why Lizzo is Perfection, she owns Batman underwear. And confirmed that, yes, they make my butt look really good. 
So first of all, factories in India are being kept afloat by the manufacturer of Batman underwear for, uh, for Lizzo's tuchus. Second of all, those must be truly magical underwear to, to, to apparently achieve that effect. But that is, that is deeply exciting stuff. This is why she is perfection, folks. This is why she is indeed perfection. And I get to uh, make fun of her because she has made her intense body positivity the center of her entire thinking. Right? In fact, that is the next page here in the Lizzo being perfect routine. Here we go. It says, I think it's lazy for me to just say I'm body, body positive at this point. It's easy. I would like to be body normative. I want to normative my body. I want to normalize my body and not just be like, oh, look at this cool movement. Being fat is body positive. No, being fat is normal. Well, unfortunately in America, that's true. And she has helped make it even more normal. The reality being fat, very bad for you. Yeah, I mean to preach, but um, go to the gym. Stop eating so much. The fact is, obesity makes literally every disease you have worse. All of them. There's not a single thing that obesity does for you that you would not better be doing if you were not obese. And yet, we are now being told that but apparently all you need is a pair of Batman underwear and it fixes all your problems. That's exciting stuff. And the reason I point this out is because these are the cultural shapers. These are the people who make the magic happen. These are the people who decide what your kids see, the values that your kids are hearing are people like Lizzo. She embodies self-love and we love her for it, says Lizzo. That, that, can, can I just say this? I, I don't think that, that self-love is the best thing. In fact, I think self-love is a form of idolatry. Love has to typically be earned. I, I, I'm not a big fan of this unearned love routine. Like a small child gets unearned love. Like my babies get unearned love because they're small children. But now you're an adult. So it's time for you to earn some love, meaning like do something useful in life. This idea is self-love is the root of all good. Self-esteem is the root of all healthiness. It's a lie. It's not true. It's really bad for you. It leads to a narcissistic obsession with yourself and with your feelings that actually serves no one except for you. And it doesn't even really serve you because it makes you more obnoxious and disliked by everybody around you. Here's another one. When a Hollywood medium predicted that Lizzo's future would see her swept off her feet, she scoffed, you know, I'm a strong black woman. I'm not trying to get swept off my feet. So first of all, that would have to be a very large dude to sweep Lizzo off her feet. Have to be like a linebacker for the New York Giants to sweep Lizzo off those feet. Like that, that, is a, that is a heavy lift, my friends. No, I'm not a snack at all. Look, baby, I'm the whole damn meal. It speaks for itself. That's, that's at least fair. At least she had, true, true. Okay, this book is very, very long. So we're only taking select, selections of her perfection. We've only gone through a few of the various reasons why she is, in fact, perfection. She has brought together the worlds of classical flute and classical twerking. Ah, yes, as Mozart once sought. This is, this is, this is what Schubert longed for, was uniting the, the variegated worlds of classical flute and classical twerking. I don't know, is there like, what would be the like new verm? Is there like jazz twerking? Are there multiple brands of twerking? I thought that twerking is just like the shaking of the rear in a particular fashion. I didn't realize that, do you have to be classically trained to classically twerk? If you go to like ballet school, like classic ballet twerking school, I don't know how this works. Exactly, I'll, I'll, I'll plead ignorance. Just your daily reminder that black trans women need to be protected and prioritized, says Lizzo. We ain't free till we all free. Also bad grammar. Thank you for choosing me. I don't take my allyship lightly. Oh, yes, she is a heroine because men are women and women are men and all the rest. This one I actually think is true. So her Ursula cosplay made our poor unfortunate souls leave our bodies. I don't know if it made you die. Uh, that would be that'd be weird. Like if you gazed upon her in horror and then you were strict dead. I, I don't think that that actually happened. But would that have been amazing casting? I mean, Lizzo as Ursula would have been pretty strong casting. I have to I have to say that would have been better casting than what they actually ended up going with. Young girls and femme people around the world can look to Lizzo. Femme people. 
This is the, their, their euphemism for, uh, for dudes who want to act like ladies. As a new ideal of femininity, it's true. The ideal of femininity used to be strong, independent woman who gets a job, gets married, has kids. Strong, independent woman used to be a person who cared for her husband and children around her. Now, strong, independent woman is a very, very large person who talks about her largeness and her empoweredness while, while twerking. Well, I think we all learned something today from this book, Let It Lizzo. I think we all learned something. And this would make a fabulous gift for all the leftists in your life. So they too can be more like Lizzo, as beautiful as Lizzo, right? which is what they all aspire to be, obviously, which is why that is the greatest compliment you can pay to anyone is you look just like Lizzo tonight, honey. Okay, meanwhile, there's an interview between Tucker Carlson and Andrew Tate that's getting all sorts of attention. It has uh, 25, 30 million views over at Twitter. It's the biggest episode of Tucker's show that he's done on Twitter for probably a couple of months. And, um, and it's fascinating. It's really, really long. It's like two and a half hours long. So we uh, pulled a few of the clips to analyze them. Uh, here's a little bit of it. It's a very uncertain situation to be picked up on just before New Year's Eve and thrown in a cell without charge. And I'm asking different prison guards and different prisoners, how long am I going to be here? One person was like, I've been here two years. I was like, have you been charged? He goes, yeah, but I haven't gone to court yet. Like everyone's been there for years. I thought I was going to be there for years. And it certainly takes a mental toll on you. And, and I think jail is a different experience when you know you're innocent. When I, there was a guy in there for murder. He's like, yeah, I murdered someone. I'm in jail. You can kind of, your soul and your mind yes. can accept the punishment for a crime. But when you've actually done nothing wrong, I think jail is a lot harder. I mean, one of the things that makes Tate sort of an interesting person and, and character is this, is this tough-minded approach that he uh, projects toward, toward everything. Now, as far as the actual specificity of the charges, my understanding is that his characterization of the charges is not what the Romanian government is saying what the charges are. You would expect that, obviously. He's defending himself, so it's not a giant shock that his account of the charges is somewhat different than theirs. And there are also some civil suits against him in Britain regarding sexual assault and, and all the rest. I'm sure the details of this are going to come out over time. But he was held in jail for a couple of months and uh, then he was released, but he is still undercharging. So, yeah, again, the, the, the outcome is uh, less than assured. What is the matrix? Good question. I guess some Americans call it the deep state, but I like to look at it in a more global way. When I say the matrix, I think there are certain agendas which are being pushed. I think the media machine and the judicial systems of the world work together hand in hand. I think the goal is to control people's minds to a point where they don't discuss anything that's important. Now, again, a lot of what he is saying right here is true, Andrew Tate. I mean, there is an overwhelming consensus between members of the media and members of the government and members of corporate America. And that's true globally as well. And, and they can create a narrative that just is not true. We saw this with the Trump-Russia narrative. We saw this with the idea that everyone, including small children, had to be vaxxed for COVID or everyone was going to die and all of the rest. Now, he's not wrong about that. I think that he over-attributes to the matrix. In other words, every symptomatic failure is obviously attributable to the matrix. So it's, again, I think that there is such a thing as middle-level bureaucracy in the United States government who are responsible for doing bad things. Does that mean that every bad thing that happens is attributable to that middle-level bureaucracy? I don't think so. But his overall take, that there are forces at work that are consolidated with one another and pursuing certain narratives. Obviously, that's true. And that's one of the reasons his message is popular. Why do you think um, support for the war in Ukraine, support for Ukraine's side in the war against Russia, support for a war against Russia in the West, is kind of the, the bottom line issue for the people who run the U.S. government and for the American media? Why? I mean, you, I guess you could argue about it, yep. but there isn't an argument about it in the United States. There's a position, and anyone who doesn't hold it 
is attacked and punished. Why? Why is that so important? Well, the first thing I think we should all do is I think we should all give Putin credit for curing COVID, right? <laughs> because when his invasion happened, COVID went away. So I thought about that. Think about it. It's almost to the day. So we have to give him some credit, at least, for doing that. He may be the bad guy of the world, but at least he cured COVID for everybody, nearly instantly. Fair. Thank you, for, thank you President Putin. Um, yeah, I, up until this point, never really commented too heavily on polit- politics. Yes. But I understand very well, I like to believe what's happening with Ukraine and Russia. And what I will say to the people who are watching this at home is that if you are naive enough to believe that there are good guys and bad guys in wars, and it's as simple as good and bad, and that the bad guys are crazy, and the good guys want freedom, then you need to do a little bit more investigation into what's really happening. And when you look at the vested interest of any country or any person... Can I, can I just ask you to pause and just comment? That's the truest thing, what you just said. That is the, and anyone who doesn't understand that should shut the f*** up. <laughs> and I mean it. Having seen war... Anyone who's telling you that it's Churchill versus Hitler yep. is an idiot. Okay, but, but he, okay, even in Tucker's last statement, that everyone's telling you that it's Churchill versus Hitler, but that was a case where you had an actual like evil person versus forces of good on one side. So Tate is making a global statement that there's never any conflict in which it's good versus evil or in which one side is completely right and the other side is completely wrong. That's all more complex than that. I think that's always true. I think there are certainly cases in which one side is right and the other side is wrong. I think that happens actually fairly frequently. Now, does that mean there isn't complexity to every war or that the rationales that are presented to the public for war are the same as the rationales behind closed doors? No. But the the kind of generalized moral relativism that that is being expressed there is something with which I, I fully disagree. World War II was not a battle between two sides who had competitive but understandable versions of what was true. World War II was a battle between a fascist force that wished to wipe every Jew off the planet and a force that wished to preserve Western democracy and civilization. I mean, that, that, that is what World War II was. The same thing happens to be true with regard to, for example, the Civil War. One side in the Civil War wanted to preserve slavery. The other side in the Civil War wanted to overrun slavery. Now, was there, is there more complexity than that? Yeah, sure, there's more complexity than that. But the overall narrative is not false. And what I see here is that complexity, the scales of gray are being used to eliminate the colors black and white. Now, if you want to say that there is gray to the picture... That's fair. That's fair. That's fine. I mean, there's great World War II also. There was, the, there was the phony war that occurred when the West seemed to be wanting to appease Hitler, right? There, there's a lot of stuff happening in the lead up to any war. But in the end of the day, if you're deciding which side you want to side with, a moral component does exist. And eliminating that moral component is, uh, I think, a mistake and a straw man. You've said depression isn't real or it's not as the way we describe depression isn't Accurate. What, what do you think of depression? When I say depression isn't real, what I'm, that really upset the world, especially the liberals, because they all live on medication, right? When I say depression isn't real, I'm saying that because I don't believe in things that can take away power from me. If I believed in depression, I would have been depressed in jail. But I can't be depressed if I don't believe in it. If you don't believe in ghosts, how could you be haunted? You have two people in a, in a haunted house. One believes in ghosts, one doesn't. There's a knock in the night. One wakes up, calls an exorcist, is terrified, looks for a ghost. The other guy doesn't believe in ghosts. Knock in the night, goes back to sleep. It's the belief in the ghost that gives it the power. If I don't believe in depression, I believe in feeling depressed. Sure, we're humans, we have emotions. Sometimes we feel depressed, sometimes we feel happy. I don't believe in the idea of becoming a 
depressed person who has depression. I don't believe in that. I don't think that's possible for me. So if I don't believe in it, how can it happen? Okay, again, I think that's spoken to somebody who doesn't have depression. So I don't have depression either, but there are certainly people who are manic depressives, right? That's an actual mental condition where people go from absolute mania to absolute depression. Now, one of the things that, that he is saying that I generally agree with is that very often depression should be overcome with cognitive behavioral therapy, right? That's actually what he's talking about there is where you say, listen, my chain of thought here is wrong. And so I'm going to correct that chain of thought. But the idea that depression just overall doesn't exist if you ignore it, for some people, it pretty clearly does. And sometimes it's caused by, you know, tragic life events. And sometimes it's caused by actual brain issues. But to, to kind of dismiss wholesale all depression, again, I, I think this one is actually more complex. And I think foreign policy is a little bit less complex than he's suggesting. Uh, so, so, yeah, are there people who require medication for depression? Yes. Is it way less than the number? Of, is it way fewer than the number of people who are currently taking medication for depression? I think also yes. So he's right that for a person who does not suffer from preconditions that lead to depression or person doesn't have manic depression or something like that, that the way to overcome depressive states is to kind of work your way through it. That obviously is true, but that's not even in conflict with, you know, sort of the best of psychotherapy. So men are replacing genuine sexual relationships with just the computer screen and porn, and it's becoming a very, very big problem. And that's also exasperated by the fact that I think the sexual marketplace has become globalized. This is the thing I say to young men. A lot of men come to me with problems, and my only answer to them is masculine excellence. I say that in the world we live in today, being a normal man or below normal is going to be terrible. You have to be an exceptional man because the sexual marketplace, especially, even if you just want to find a wife, is globalized. If you, in 1955, if you met the hot girl in the Nebraskan town, she was the hot girl in the Nebraskan town. If you meet her today, she's being offered to go to Courcheval and go skiing in France, and she's right. being offered to fly to Dubai. And there's millionaires who can just fly her anywhere and give her anything she wants. And, and who are you? Right? It's, it's getting harder and harder as a man to even find the most basic human function of re reproduction. Even to just find a woman you can reproduce with, it's becoming more and more difficult. You also couple that with the fact that they've destroyed morality in women also. So when you destroy the morality in men and you destroy how a man should act and then you destroy how a woman should act, it's, they're go you're both going in the opposite direction. Most women out there are very happy to share a man who's just rich and famous and they don't, they don't care. It's right? So, so, so if you're the normal guy, you know, there's, there's this rich, famous guy with 30 girls. That's 29 dudes who are lonely and they end up watching porn. And if you have a porn addiction or you have a problem with porn, you have a problem with yourself because I guarantee if you're the kind of man you're supposed to be, you would have no time for that and you wouldn't need it. Okay. So I, everything that. he's saying here is true. Okay. Well, every single, so I have a lot of quibbles with Andrew Tate. This is not one of them, right? What he, what he is saying here is absolutely true that the, that the, big imbalance between men and women, which has been created by the sexual revolution in which men and women were not expected to marry one another and then pair off one-on-one, -on -one, has created tremendous imbalances just population-wide. And also, he's correct, that obviously you have to be more successful in order to achieve appeal to women in today's day and age because they have many more options with regard to men, but also because men aren't pairing up one-to-one -one with women, women aren't pairing up one-to-one -one with men. That, that's just statistically reality. What he's saying is right. And you can see this in every time you see a poll where women are saying, I just want a man who's six foot and makes 200 grand a year. Like that, that's like a very tiny percent of the population. But there are a lot of women who are attractive who feel that they can achieve that because, again, there is a global marketplace. What he's saying there is right. Now, there is an element that, again, I think is missing. And that is that if you actually wish to society-wide cure this problem, 
He's right on the individual level. There's no substitute for excellence and achievement and success and all the rest. I, I, I fully agree with that. On a society-wide level, that's not going to solve the problem. On a society-wide level, the only solution to this is a return to the sort of values that build families. In other words, one solution here is become more successful so the attractive girl is attracted to you as opposed to the millionaire 45-year-old who's, who's got a wife. The other solution is inculcate from the time people are young a set of values in which men and women are meant to marry each other and raise children so that the values you're looking for in the other person are an important component of how you date and marry. Right? That's the part that I always feel like is missing in some of these conversations. If a black billionaire and a white billionaire meet somewhere, I don't think there's much conversation about race. I don't think... <laughs> no! <laughs> no! I don't think there's any racism. <laughs> no. Interesting. No? They're not that interested in the topic, actually. They don't care. Right. Right? But amongst the lower echelons of the populace, they seem very interested in trying to turn us all on each other. Yes. I wonder why that is. And I wonder why they deliberately make laws and push media matters which are designed to do exactly that. I wonder why that is. We can sit and I have my own theories. Okay, so the, the sort of classism argument, that the reason that, that this is being pushed is on behalf of the upper class elite. And he, he's right in one sense and, and I think incorrect in another. So he, he's certainly right that when you go to upper class enclaves, the amount of racism is, is virtually non-existent because, again, people tend to identify by class more than they do by race. If you go to very poor areas of the United States, very often you see black and white people living together pretty much okay, right? Go to the rural South and you see this actually a fair bit. And if you go to very rich areas like San Francisco, you see very rich black and white people living right next to each other with no actual gap. So why is it that the elite or what you would call the matrix are pushing the racism narrative? I don't think that that's necessarily for the preservation of economic power. I think that that is because a lot of those people actively believe that people who are not like them are bad, like all of them. Like people who are not living in my little San Francisco enclave, they are racist, sexist, bigot, homophobes who despise each other, just as Barack Obama talked about. that The, the people he was meeting with in San Francisco when he was talking about the bitter clingers, they're all like Barack Obama, but everybody else is actually bad. So it's, it's not that they are doing this to preserve their own power as much as they have this very self-centered view of the world in which they're the only good people. Everyone else is in fact racist, which is why you need racial preferences programs, for example. So I was a little bit surprised to see Greta Thunberg with Zelensky this morning. It's, what's interesting to me is this. Firstly, I would never kill myself. Secondly, <laughs> imagine these people are so detached from reality. Imagine going, you know what we need to do? Brainwave. We need to drum up support for this garbage. Let's take our, let's take the, the most loved woman, Greta, and the most loved man, Zelensky, and let's make them meet. Think about the PR, let's bring a camera. And imagine people sitting around a table going, that's great, that's, that's gonna really make people support this. <laughs> Who gives? Oh, f I don't wanna swear, I'm sorry, but some young girl turns up to a war zone who has nothing, why is she there? What are they gonna talk about? I don't know. But what's their conversation? I think she only yells, I don't think she does talk. I, I don't understand. Is she going to talk about how the childhood has been stolen from all those million Ukrainian men who have been born to, blown to pieces? Like she talks about childhood being stolen because we drive, you know, cars. I don't think she is. I don't think she's going to mention that. Not wrong. Correct. I mean, he again, when he talks about the Matrix, the Matrix is, you know, the, this this kind of generalized a net between people like the Greta Thunbergs, who really should not be a world-famous figure. She was a child when she was exploited for her political point of view. 
Uh, and uh, and people like Vladimir Zelensky, who's an actual world leader in the middle of a war like that, the, the obvious imbalance there. But the attempt by the Matrix to paint that as a sort of um, as a sort of meeting of equals is uh, ridiculous on his face. So every survey of female happiness in the West shows a, just in a straight decline since about 1970 till now. Women are becoming less happy in the West. I think it's very obvious. What accounts for that? How can you be happy when all the men around you aren't men? Right? We are the most beautiful union that God has possibly created on the planet. A, ma- a feminine woman and a masculine man is the most beautiful union that can possibly exist. It raises children the best. It, both parties are happier. Both parties gain. It's a net positive for everybody. There's no negative. There's no downside. But if you destroy one side of the equa- uh, equation, then the other side is going to be completely and utterly miserable and unhappy. How as a woman can you be happy if you can't find a man who you believe can protect you, provide for you, sticks up for you, has morals, has principles? There's none of those men left. So then what they do is just go from man to man trying to find it. And by the time they've been through enough men to maybe find someone semi-close to it, they've been through too many men to ever be happy. And then you have the absolute destruction of Western society. We talk about why men don't get married anymore. I can tell you why I wouldn't want to get married in America. I don't see the point in being married to a woman who's had so many partners before me that she can't properly pair bond with me and then giving her the opportunity to financially destroy me. I think that would be a bad chess move. I mean, again, everything he's saying is true. So he should get married and he should be monogamous and have kids. Because the union that, that actually provides all of this is the marital union. It is not, in fact, cam girls. So I'm, I'm, I, the, the, many of the things he's saying are absolutely right. As I've said before, I think that that Andrew Tate's big gift is that Andrew Tate is very good at diagnosing problems. I think many of his solutions don't meet the test of the problem. I think that very often the solutions are, are incomplete or very often the solutions are, are correct in rhetoric, but not in action. But when it comes to diagnosing problems, I mean, this is the reason he's popular. If he weren't putting his thumb on something real, he wouldn't have millions and millions and millions of followers, obviously. Okay, time for a quick thing that I hate. Okay, so um, Maybelline has decided that uh, they they want to literally hold Bud Light's beer, apparently. So Maybelline is a women's... So here's the thing. A lot of the male brands are not doing this anymore because males were like, nah, men ain't ladies, ladies ain't men, we ain't doing this. But there are a lot of companies that are still relying on women to be nice because women are typically nicer than men. Not to other women, but to like everyone else, they're very, very nice, particularly to men. And so because of that, there are a lot of brands that are relying on these sort of niceness of women to just insult women up the wazoo. It's why the idea of of men playing in women's sports is more offensive to men than to women, because a lot of women, even though they should be defending themselves, they're really like, well, you know, but isn't it mean? So now Maybelline is taking that to the ultimate extreme. They've signed up a Maybelline partner who is a bearded, hairy dude to um, to model, which is hideous and horrifying, obviously. Prime Day on Amazon, so why not see if Maybelline has any deals going on? And look at that! Superstay Vinyl Ink is 30% off, and my favorite colors are in stock and ready to ship. My Amazon order arrived the next day, and here I am, filming a makeup review. And baby, check out this color and shine. It's so comfortable, and it will not budge or smudge for up to 16 hours. What is even happening? So, uh, for those who can't see, this would be a dude named Ryan Vita. He uh, has a full beard. He has a beaded barrette in his beard while applying bright pink shades of Maybelline's Super Stay liquid lipstick. 
And uh, and and then he kisses his hand, showing no gloss has transferred onto his hand. So Maybelline shared the ad with its nearly 12 million Instagram followers. The caption denotes that Vita, who has 49,000 followers, so very few followers, by the way, and uses the pronouns she, he, they, which doesn't even make any sense. Like how get she, he, they, that's all of them, is a Maybelline partner. And nearly 2,000 comments show many consumers aren't pleased with the casting. Well, you would think. At a certain point, are women just going to stand up to this and be like, no, how about this? How about you advertise female products to us with women? How about that? How about we would like to see what a woman might look like with the lipstick as opposed to a bearded, not particularly attractive dude? How about that? But no, Maybelline is going to lecture everybody and they're going to steer directly into this. You know, there's got to be a makeup brand somewhere that actually wants to cater to women. And women, at some point, you're going to have to stand up for yourselves. I mean, seriously. Being the powerful, strong people that you are, at some point, you're going to have to say, dudes should stop pretending to be us because we are not dudes. But if you won't, then you're just going to keep getting catered to with this kind of crap. I'm just wondering who Maybelline thinks is like the crowd that's like, oh, man, now I'm buying more Maybelline because I saw a bearded, ugly dude put on some liquid lipstick. That's that it makes perfect sense. Oh, uh, who are the, who are the brand managers at these places? Alrighty, The rest of the show is continuing right now. You're not going to miss it. We'll be speaking with foreign policy expert Ian Bremmer. If you're not a member, become a member. Use Coach Shapiro. Check out for two months free on all annual plans. Click that link in the description and join us. Did you know that mRNA vaccines are approved for use in pigs in the United States? Not to mention 85% of the beef sold in your local grocery store is imported. In fact, over 5 billion pounds of meat was imported just last year. There's so much mystery surrounding our meat, which is why I'm so grateful for my Good Rancher subscription. I know that I don't have to worry about imported meat or unknown vaccines in the food that I feed my family. Good Ranchers is saying mRNO to mRNA by offering a free 10-pound Easter ham with any subscription. Unlike the pork from the grocery store, Good Ranchers ham is guaranteed 100% free from mRNA vaccines. This is a $119 value, absolutely free with code DAILYWIRE. Go to GoodRanchers.com and say mRNO to mRNA by subscribing today. You have a right to know exactly what's in your food, and Good Ranchers is dedicated to protecting that right and providing your family with the best meat in America, free from any unknown and potentially harmful additives. Go to GoodRanchers.com and subscribe to any of their boxes and use code DAILYWIRE at checkout. Every subscription will come with a free Heritage Ham, $25 off, and Good Ranchers lifetime quality commitment. That's GoodRanchers.com, code DAILYWIRE.